Thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast, the show where two friends get together and watch an episode of the original Generation 1 Transformers cartoon series in order and then turn on some recording equipment and talk about what they saw. We are old friends who have been talking about Transformers for 25 years or more and grew up with the show. And once a week, we get together to watch an episode, examine how we feel about it as adults and how we encountered it as a child and try to synthesize those two perspectives into a broader or deeper, you choose, understanding of the Transformers cartoon series. My name is Jersey Drozd. I am a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named. He was named Hoover, and that's what we shall call him. He's not going to be Autobot Hoof this time, huh? It's not Autobot Hoof. I'm not allying myself with those simpletons. <laughs> Get that Autobot stink off of my body. Uh, yeah, that's another thing that's like a part of this this show is that we both have different allegiances. <laughs> to, we, we tend to have different allegiances. I tend to actually side with the humans, then the Autobots, and then, I guess, I like some of the Decepticons. <laughs> Funny how that's changed over the years. It really has. It really has. It's done a complete 180 since I was a kid, or a teenager at least. And uh, Hoover likes to wear the purple and the black. (laughs) He's not wrong. So we are in season two. Welcome to season two. Episode one of season two, Autobot Spike. New season means we get a new intro. Now, before we dive into the new intro... Can I share a memory of this new intro as I encountered it as a child? <laughs> By all means. Okay. So growing up in the 80s, we've talked about this a lot. You had basically your TV guide and you had like promos throughout the week to let you know what was going to be coming on and when. Season one, I didn't videotape it when it was on the air because I, I can't remember whether or not we had a VCR at that time. But season two, I started to re- record episodes as they aired. But I had no idea if or when season two was coming. So after school one day, like the, I remember very distinctly how the animation block that happened after school, like from like what, like three o'clock to six o'clock or something like that. In 1984, where I was growing up, it was largely Scooby-Doo and some other Hanna-Barbera type cartoons. I think Thundercats came on, but G.I. Joe and Transformers weren't on uh, uh, at that in that animation block when I was growing up. And then one day after school, mm-hmm. I, my, I remember my little brother Elliot was outside playing in the backyard. I'm inside and I'm flipping to look at, okay, what cartoons are on? And this intro plays. <laughs> and and honestly, for true, I ran outside to get my brother like, Elliot, get in here! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's a new Transformers! It's got a new intro! And the song is different! And it's all these guys singing now! <laughs> I was so riled by this introduction and and I mean partially because the surprise of like the cartoon is back mm-hmm. but also like I was uh, one of those uh, was it nerdy of me maybe I guess people would have called it nerdy back then to notice that the song had changed mm-hmm. so the the start of a new season means we get a new version of the intro do you care to walk us through it over <laughs> oh boy it is it is it is something Whew. Season one intro, <laughs> pretty plain and straightforward. There's Autobots, there's Decepticons, they're running at each other, they're fighting, they're throwing each other, they're shooting at each other. Eventually, there's a volcano involved. Pretty plain and straightforward. Uh-huh. However, season two intro, it's getting a little bit more arty. We start off 
with the Autobot and Decepticon logos flying through space from a planet that looks kind of like Jupiter. Yeah, they're flying into our solar system. And they fly through space. We're talking about the Autobot face and the Decepticon face, the little symbols. And they're flying into the solar system, and they get to Cybertron, and they sort of loop around it. So then we zoom down to Cybertron's surface, and from the surface we see Earth in the sky of Cybertron. So we go close in on Earth, where we see a volcano erupt as the Transformers logo flies by. And then we close in on the Dinobots in Dino mode. Well, like when the Transformers logo comes up, like the screen flashes for a second, and then when mm-hmm. it's done flashing, we're closed in on Grimlock's teeth, mm-hmm. closed around something. What are they closed around, right? <laughs> and he bites down on the Transformers logo. But as we pull out, he's chomping on a maroon seeker. Mm. A seeker that's maroon. We haven't seen that yet. He must be from the 70s. <laughs> We will soon learn that this one is named Thrust. Mm. So as the Dinobots transform to robot mode, they are attacked by a new purple jet who doesn't look like the other Seekers. And this purple jet transforms to robot mode and then transforms again into a tank? What? What? (laughs) Three modes. They don't do that, Hoover. They They don't don't do do that. It doesn't work that way. Well, we'll come to learn that this is Blitzwing. And the tank fires on some sort of Autobot tank who merges with a sort of rocket base to become a huge Autobot. What? Who we will soon learn is Omega Supreme. He steps on the Decepticon tank and crushes it and turns to fire off to his left as we see the Constructicon Bone Crusher collect the smashed Blitzwing. I do love that part. I love the part that where like the Constructicon's like, well, better take him home for repairs, <laughs> while, while Omega Supreme is like wreaking havoc on everything else. But yes, and then so what happens next? And we see Omega is firing on a Decepticon train engine, who then turns into a space shuttle. What? No, it doesn't. <laughs> That's impossible! <laughs> Turns out this is another triple changer, Astro Train. As he takes off, we see the train tracks leading off a cliff that drops down into a lava stream where we see Insecticon, Shrapnel, and Kickback transform. This is insane. (laughs) So much stuff is happening. I feel like I need my medication. And we're not done yet, and it's still only a full 30 seconds. The lava transforms into an orange grid in space where we see Optimus and three other Autobots in car mode transforming into robots. And these other Autobots don't look familiar. Turns out these Autobots are Grapple, Trax, and Red Alert. The Autobots all run towards the screen as the screen wipes to the Decepticons standing on a purple grid in space. Where we see Megatron then pan back to see next to him are Constructicons Scrapper and Scavenger. And a new white seeker we will soon learn is Ramjet. We see Megatron <laughs> fire on Prime, who dodges. Then the pair get in some hand-to-hand combat as they sink into the grid below them as the camera pans around them in a 360-degree shot. We see a burst of light, then the Transformers logo comes toward us, all set to a frenetically paced disco-style track, promising that we're in store for a load of new characters this season. Hearing you describe this totally explains why i ran outside as a little yeah, boy because like, i probably i probably did not register that it was all new characters because it does have it's a very very fast-paced introduction mm-hmm. everything flies past you like 
As a matter of fact, the part where the Insecticons are in like the lava river, like it's it's just a couple seconds and I had to keep pausing it after I videotaped it to go like, is that really, are they just like swimming in lava? Why are they swimming in lava? And why is Kickback's wings like flipping around? Oh, he's transforming. Okay. <laughs> but the original theme song had, you could clearly hear men and women singing together kind of like in this weird tone that, that sounds kind of robotic, but it's it's still melodic. <laughs> it does the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
if you play a f- like a few minutes of a season one episode and then play a few minutes of this, like it's a, it's a distinct audio difference that I picked up on. Also, top-down view, this is the episode with a lot of profile shots of Autobots with big chins. I don't know if you picked up on that either. <laughs> no. There's a lot of big chins in this one. Prowl has a big chin. Autobot Spike has a big chin. Yeah, like they do a lot of shots where you're seeing their profile as they're looking at something else. But how does this episode open? Well, we open on Autobot HQ as our good buddy Victor Caroli hey. tells us a strange experiment is taking place. And we see Sparkplug toiling over a table as a group of Autobots gather to watch. Prime says they're ready for his demonstration, and Sparkplug says he wanted to see what he could accomplish with spare Autobot parts and a little human ingenuity. He pulls a lever, and we see the table lean downward, revealing an Autobot made of spare parts, which Sparkplug has named Autobot X. He's made up of some very recognizable parts, such as Prowl's chest, an arm from Sunstreaker, shins from Hound, and so on, but all slapped together willy-nilly. He's very asymmetrical very asymmetrical which we talked about with dr archiville that's one of those things that i feel like is a very fine line to walk in post you know 21st century as this idea of like asymmetry always equaling monstrous right Mm. but like they even go so far as like the head on autobot x has like a really tall forehead like the the top of his head is really high up and his face is really low and he's got like bolts that come off the side of his helmet mm-hmm. in the neck area just to drive home this idea a little bit but yes he's he's asymmetrical all around he's a he's a mismatch he's he's piecemeal and spike looks at him wow it's like some kind of robot frankenstein monster franken what spike ought oh, to take too long to explain bumblebee all right are we going to keep track of how many times spike says this in this episode <laughs> no it's <laughs> like i i think i counted at least four but like this is going to be a recurring thing. Like we have to say, we're Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we get the idea. He's he's he's, uh, he's just like how Frankenstein was made of mismatched parts. So is Autobot X. So Sparkplug is trying to create a new life form here. Is that what, is that what you're <laughs> de- picking up from this? Yeah, I don't know why he would think he can with just spare parts. That's very odd. But. Okay. <laughs> okay. So how is he going to do it? He's going to be like, oh, guess what? I got Vector Sigma on speed dial. I'm going <laughs> to... I mean, Spike went to Cybertron recently. Maybe he got his number. <laughs> well, Sparkplug just sends power into the robot as Wheeljack and Ratchet seem to not see the point of this. But almost immediately, Autobot X stands up and begins walking around the base, emitting a sort of vague growling sound. So if you listen carefully to that growl, that sounds a lot like Don Messick to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think the growl is, I think they probably just had like maybe these sounds ready for various things and potential plot points. I don't think when when Spike is in there, I don't think it's Don no. Messick doing the voice. I think it's just pitched down Spike. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that's definitely Corey Burton when he's in the body. But like when they just do like the generic insert growls here, it totally sounds like a Scooby-Doo mm-hmm. monster. <laughs> Why does this keep happening? Like, I, I think like Optimus should be noticing a pattern by now. Like, don't, if you're going to bring somebody to life, do it outside. Because <laughs> what happens next? <laughs> well, just like the Dinobots before him, Autobot X knows to head first for the most expensive equipment. <laughs> 
<laughs> and his first impulse is to smash as suddenly Sparkplug remarks, it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> no? Are you sure? Oh, yeah, like, like that, that is a pretty good line. I wonder if that was uh, on purpose by Donald Glutt, but... <laughs> So, so uh, I guess we're going to get another one of these scenes where Autobots bum rush him and get knocked around. Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> well, more and more smashing occurs as Sparkplug's attempt to shut him down via the controls fail. Prime says that they have to stop him, so Ironhide, Prowl, and Trailbreaker rush him. But Autobot X fires a blast from his fingers, knocking them all down. Trailbreaker uses his force field to protect them from further attacks as Prowl fires some acid pellets at it, and Ironhide fires some unnamed chemical which manages to bring the rampage to a close. And Spike remarks to his dad that he created a metal Frankenstein's monster, and Sparkplug retorts, Prime, I guess Autobot X better be put in storage, at least until I get him perfected. Really? To which I would reply, if I were Prime, you're mispronouncing I'm sorry, Sparkplug. <laughs> I'm sorry my abomination wrecked the base and that I used all the spare parts on top of that. Oh, yeah. This is, did this freak you out at all when you were a kid that like he's made of Autobot body parts? Because that wasn't lost on me. Like, oh, wait, so like like half a Prowl's chest is just like sitting someplace in case they need it, you know? And like, I, I think around this time, I also had been introduced to the Micronauts comic series. Did you ever read that? Mm. No, not really. Um, I was aware of it, but I never really kept up with it. There's this whole concept in there that I thought was really like strange and unnerving as a child, like called the body banks, where you could have like body parts banked you know and mm -hmm. it, it like this vaguely reminded me of that it's like okay wait a minute there's like like a closet and like hound's got an extra leg in there <laughs> and like uh i know they're robots but they're also people so this is weird right but so i, I the, the horror aspect of this episode was not lost on me as a child but i do <laughs> i do love this idea that like spark plug is just following protocol that like if you bring life to life in autobot base and it wrecks up the place you put it in the closet <laughs> I'm just doing what you did, Optimus. <laughs> like, man, I have, I have not been, uh, you know, leading a good example for my troops. But it's like, like, yeah. So he doesn't apologize. Like, I guess we're just gonna put him away. And then Wheeljack gets like a light bulb above his head, <laughs> which is never a good sign. <laughs> so that light bulb appears over Wheeljack's head and says, "Hmm, I wonder." If an Autobot were ever injured, we may be able to transfer their mind to Autobot X while their original body is being repaired. And Ratchet looks aghast at the idea. Right, like, that's a neat little piece of animation. Like, he turns to the dudes behind him and holds his arms out like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and even his mouth is like, whoa. It's like, a, 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 he's, he's a gape. And then, mm. But then Optimus is like, that's not a bad idea. Like, yeah. yeah, don't encourage Wheeljack Prime. <sighs> Suddenly, Teletran 1 emits a warning beacon that tells them that Decepticons are approaching a new military rocket base. So it's time for the Autobots to roll out. It's a funny line, too, because like, these two lights like start lighting up on the side of the Teletran 1 screen, and Optimus like, there's only one reason for that alarm to sound. And it's because the Decepticons are attacking the rocket base. Like Prime has like a whole bunch of different like rhythms. Like It's like um, like Morse code. You know? Well, that's the rocket base. Well, they're just like ringtones. Oh, that, there it's you like go. a different person calls you. <laughs> <laughs> the Decepticons go to a different rocket base, different ringtone. <laughs> and if it's ever the... <laughs> That just means somebody's being a jerk in a movie. <laughs> or a movie theater, I should say. 
So, yeah, so like he's like, oh, the Decepticons are attacking the rocket base, and we go to the rocket base, and there's John Stevenson dressed as a general, <laughs> like like shouting at like, we're going to be able to see things that no one's ever seen. What? And then, oh, yeah, he's like talking to like a news corps, right? Like there's like a whole like press junket there as he's like bragging about his cool mm-hmm. rockets, yeah. which look like Fleur O'Derry rockets. They're like all smooth and streamlined, like almost look like they could be right out of like Quintessa. But then he stops talking because... Of course, the Decepticons land and announce they'll be taking over. (laughs) Megatron turns to see Starscream gesturing in the opposite direction. Yeah, like Megatron's like looking around going like, hey, we're going to take over this base, get all the energy. It's going to be great, right? Meanwhile, Starscream's like pointing over Megatron's shoulder and like doing like the Shemp thing where he's like, (laughs) because he's not talking, right? Like, Yeah, it looked to me like his mouth wasn't even agape, like he wasn't even surprised. (laughs) Like he was just... He was just, look over there, guess who? <laughs> yeah, he he really is. Like he's, he's been through this so many times now. He's like, yeah, well, you know, you know what part's next. <laughs> so Megatron orders the Decepticons into battle, and we get this exchange. Come on, guys, let's zap them into scrap. Too bad you don't rule this fast as you talk, Ironhide. Whoa. Mm. Jersey, there goes your theory about Starscream never addressing any Autobots by name besides Optimus. Yeah, and huh. And there was, he did mention Hound's holograms that one time. But I would have liked this more if he had just referred to him as Autobot. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, let's look at it this way. The You have been observing how the Autobots are acting more like a proper organized fighting force as the series progresses. And Ironhide's done enough heroic things now mm-hmm. that Starscream is showing, like, yeah, I know who you are, you know? Yeah. It's like the Autobots are becoming more familiar to Starscream. Like, he can pick them out of a lineup now. <laughs> He's like, Ironhide's the red one. <laughs> Which red one? Because there's that other red one who has the yellow one that's his brother. Oh, they all look the same to me. <laughs> So the teams are squaring off, and Braun manages to kick Soundwave into the air and into one of the rockets, causing it to fall over. Yeah, there's some like really not imaginative fight scenes coming up in this episode, but I'm <laughs> glad that we at least got that because that is pretty great. Where it's like first, like Soundwave like shoots it's Ratchet and Windcharger, right? He shoots them from behind, yes. and then they just like mm-hmm. like sort of fall over like a wall, mm-hmm. like like just laying with their butts up in the air, and then yeah. and then like Soundwave just stand there, look at him, and then Braun like sneaks up behind him and kicks him in the back, and he just goes flying, not just flying like 10, 15, 20 feet, like he flies like across like 100, 200 yards and lands, <laughs> hits a rocket like midway up the rocket. <laughs> yeah. I can only guess once he was kicked, he tried to like fly away and he was just like so out of control that he just went crashing into this rocket. Uh, just like the beginning of Roll For It when Blue Streak and Prowl mm-hmm. hit Soundwave. Like, that's the thing. If you catch him unaware, he'll just start spiraling into the air all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Soundwave's never been very good at flying, which is why he transforms into a tape deck mm-hmm. and not another seeker. Yeah. <laughs> So then we see Prime dodging a shot from Thundercracker and then dodging another shot from Skywarp, and Skywarp's shot hits another rocket, blowing it up, which starts a chain reaction and then basically destroys all the rockets on the base. Can we also <laughs> note, yeah, because like uh, at this point, Optimus like, the rockets, no. But this whole time, they have been exchanging fire while humans are running all over the place at their feet. 
Like you, mm-hmm. we we clearly see Optimus standing and like just like standing straight up. Like he's not like in an action pose. He's holding his arm out like the toy and just firing. And we see people on the ground running in front of him. You know, and I'm like, what happened to Ultimate Doom? Where it's like we can't endanger the humans unless <laughs> I have a Jersey theory. Uh oh. Yeah, Cliff Jumper wasn't there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, that's good. Because the other thing we should note is, like, when Optimus told everybody to roll out for the rocket base, this is, like, the one moment that indicates this is the first episode of the new season. Because, like, he names all the Autobots as they transform to roll out. Mm-hmm. Reminiscent of season one, episode one, where Jazz is, like, sort of doing roll call as each Autobot transforms. Like he's, like, he's like yeah. you know, Ratchet, Ironhide, Windcharger. He names them all, and Cliffjumper is clearly not there. He's like, well... <laughs> We can afford to be a bit more reckless today, boys. <laughs> Cliff Temper has the day off. But also, I have I have another like sort of umbrella sort of thesis for this one. You know, <laughs> it, after watching it again, I realize I like this episode a lot more than I thought I did. Mm. And I would say that Autobots make bad decisions; humans make good decisions. Mm. And it goes back to my idea about how like Spike and Chip are there to be the conscience of the Autobots and help them be a little bit better every time. <laughs> But continue. So, yeah. So, like, the rockets start exploding in a chain reaction, and Optimus is like, no. But then Megatron's going to say no, too, right? Well, we see Spike riding in Bumblebee, wondering if they did the right thing to come here. Again, conscience. (laughs) As they've clearly done more harm than good. Yep. And Soundwave announces the obvious to Megatron (laughs) that basically everything of use to them just got blown up. As there's nothing left to take, Megatron orders a retreat but not before transforming into a gun and landing in Soundwave's hand, intending to leave the Autobots with a distraction that will keep them from following. So Soundwave shoots at Bumblebee, who flips over onto two wheels and is unresponsive. Ironhide rescues Spike from inside Bumblebee, and it's clear that Spike needs medical attention. Right, like, so the Autobots are, like, trying to clean up the mess, and then as soon as Megatron pulls that stunt and, like, blows up Bumblebee, Otto's like, everybody drop everything, you know? Spike is hurt. And they run over there, and like Ratchet says, I'm like, oh, I can fix Bumblebee in a little while. And Optimus is like, well, but Spike needs medical attention now. I notice he does say medical attention now, because later on he talks about like repairing his body. But he's, he's, at least at this point, he's using human language. <laughs> Remember, let's go back in time to an earlier episode, like when Chip Chase is controlling Prowl, and Prowl says, for a human being, you make one heck of an Autobot. And how I, I said, I think I said something along the lines of like, I'll never be truly happy until I hear Prowl say that about me. <laughs> <laughs> this this next moment triggers that same kind of longing in me because it's like Spike's hurt and the Autobots are like, we're going to get him to the hospital right now. And what do they do? Oh, Ratchet transforms to take him to the nearest hospital and Prowl transforms to provide a police escort oh, to get him there God. faster. Yes, because Ratchet's like, I'll get him there fast. And Prowl's like, I'll provide an escort to get him there even faster. And like, it literally is like four seconds of them just driving. And then, boop, they're in front of the right. hospital. <laughs> but just like the idea of like, oh, if I had a cold and Prowl would be like, I'm going to help you. Oh, man. Why can't, why can't Prowl help me when I'm feeling sick or when I'm hurt? <laughs> Spike, you get everything. I get nothing. <laughs> Never mind that he's like on death's door, right? <laughs> you hear me, you nearly dead human. Why do you have to get everything? <laughs> I wasn't even awake when it happened. Yeah, I know, but Prowl still wanted to help you and not me. It's my birthday. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I'm not even exaggerating. Those feelings are very real in me. Okay, but they get him to the hospital. See, what y'all don't know is that this is preparation for the therapy that we're going to both enlist in at the end of this podcast. And then we're basically working out all of our Transformers love issues. <laughs> and my therapist be like, well, we got Michael Bell on the phone. <laughs> Jersey, for a human being, you make one heck of an Autobot. And then I just melt in the chair. I'm like, oh, all my problems are gone. <laughs> So we get we go into the emergency room and like they're working on Spike, right? Like we see all like the surgeons surrounding him and we hear like the heartbeat monitor and everything. Yep. We see Spike in the OR and then then suddenly we see him in the bed of a regular hospital room where his doctor has the following very odd thing to say. Hmm. If only there were a way of separating Spike's mind from his body while we work. What? Well, why yeah this this just became what? like like a salvador dali film like whoa, <laughs> uh, whoa, that that is one of it's got to be if, if we're gonna rank like weird out of the way lines of dialogue in this series that's got to be up there in like the top 10 hmm. if only there were a way of separating spike's mind from his body while we work if only there were a way of separating Spike's mind from his body while we work. I, I'd say top three easily. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So explain why this, this bothers you, and then we'll see if we can unpack and like make sense out of this weird line. Um, what kind of injury could possibly necessitate separating someone's mind from their body? I mean, isn't inducing a coma going to essentially do the same thing but allow his mind to have a nice nap? Why does the mind have to be awake and elsewhere? What possible benefit could that be? <laughs> I'll allow them to drive from the Midwest to the Arctic Circle. I'll forgive them leaving Skyfire buried in the ice while they built some dinosaurs. But somebody tell me. What situation has a doctor wishing he could remove a patient's mind for a while? Somebody, please explain this. Okay, so first of all, I fully anticipate that there might be a listener or two who actually works in the medical field who could explain that there, there could, I will allow that there could be a situation where that would actually be preferable. To like just export your brain someplace else for a little while while we do Why? It. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm allowing that, that I'm, I'm admitting my ignorance on this. However, my personal, and I'm not even doing like a Jersey theory in quotes thing here. I really think your observation about the last couple of episodes of season one and how it feels like somebody came into the room and said, wait a second, little <laughs> kids are buying these toys. We need to start writing episodes for little kids. And like some of the weird, silly incongruities that start happening. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is what is at work here because plot wise, this totally works if you just change the dialogue to, we don't know if he's going to live or die. Like, odds are not looking great. He might die soon. And then Sparkplug, mm -hmm. out of sheer terror, grief, and desperation, says, I could put his brain in Autobot X, right? But right. then that, that network executive or whoever came into the room and said that, that thing about young kids said, like, no, you can't do that. Not in a show for it's five too years. too scary. Too scary. But... Five-year-olds will get like, hey, we can put his mind in somebody else's body, and it's like science fiction-y, and hey, come on, we're talking about transforming robots anyway. So yeah, it feels like, like 
abstractly and on paper, this plot actually works if you just understand that they're sort of winking at the camera saying, like, we're really talking about Spike possibly dying here. Like, the line, uh, if you take away his body while we work, if there's only some way of separating Spike's mind from his body, take away the while we work part and just say, like, it's it's not looking great. If there were only some way to, like, save him and keep him alive in some other way because his body is, like, too damaged. And then the spark plug gets the idea. I, I just feel like that's, like, they, they encoded it. But even as a kid, I mean, because like at this point, I'm like 11 or 12 and I'm like, huh, this is a, a kind of a fun, funny plot. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's <laughs> as my buddy Greg Shegel says when he talks about some of these cartoons, this is clown time. <laughs> 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 this, this is like I don't expect anybody to stick around and buy into this story after that line of dialogue. Uh, <laughs> but I, I show up with a lot more of a forgiving uh, attitude about it just because I, I it feels like this plot was originally intended for like 12 year old and up somebody said nope make it for five year olds and up and then we get that weird line but mm. well I have a dark theory mm. that could be it could be that this this hospital has recently got hit with a lot of malpractice suits <laughs> so if they think the mind is gone from the body while they work on it it's like how do you know what happened you aren't even you weren't even here I want no witnesses <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Prowl, I told you to not take it to Dr. Nick Riviera. I told you to take it to the good hospital. <laughs> Prowl's like, I just... Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that, that is like this guy is like Dan Gilveson playing Dr. Nick. If only there was some way to separate his mind from his body. And like, also, they're doing a callback to Wheeljack's weird line that horrified Ratchet, right? But like, I buy it to the extent that it's a grieving father, right? Like that, like th- that mm. feels true to me. That doesn't feel like it's unreasonable, especially you know, he loves his son, and he's already been monkeying around with like making crazy Frankenstein <laughs> monsters in the Autobot base anyway. But yeah, so like when he says that, Sparkfrog's like, ah, it's a one in a million chance, but I have to take it again. Why would he say that unless the original idea was Spike was going to die? Yeah. So back at the Ark, Bumblebee's getting repaired, but is rushing for Ratchet to hurry so he can get back to Spike. Oh, Bumblebee, you're so good. You're so worried about your friend. Why can't you worry about me the way you worry about Spike? (laughs) (laughs) And Spike is rigged up to a machine at the hospital, while Autobot X is rigged up to a machine here at the Ark. We see Spike on the monitor of Teletran 1, as Wheeljack explains. With my cybernetic attachments, I'll transfer the mind of your son into the robot form of Autobot X. The human physicians will have time to perform the operation on Spike's real body. Okay, Wheeljack, do it. So yes, you do understand this, right? They're going to transfer Spike's mind into Autobot X, I guess via dial-up modem. Yeah, I don't know. Like, did, did, like they use like Cybertronian hotspots to like boost the connection. <laughs> we did show that. Well, I mean, I guess maybe, maybe trans, maybe uh, Cybertronian technology can like upgrade human equipment because like what happened with Chip Chase's computer where he was like looking at, you know, an old black screen with green letters kind of uh, monitor, and then also once he connected to Prowl, he could see through Prowl's <laughs> eyes. You know, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you just shrug and say, sure. (laughs) 
it, it is this is very strange yes there's like a giant cybertronian salad bowl on spike's head and on on <laughs> autobot x's head and they both have like a, a medusa's like hairdo of wires coming out of the top of it that are connected into the walls and then wheeljack throws the switch and what happens the equipment starts to glow and then we see autobot x's eyes light up spike do you know me it's your dad <laughs> Dad, I'm Spike. Spike, me? No, no, no! Spike, son, what have we done to you? So here we have Spike in Autobot X's body going crazy. He's just lashing out at everything, clearly not in control of all of his faculties. Oh, poor spark plug. I mean, he's just, he was, a, he was a desperate and grieving father, right? And like now, now this is the, this is the cliffhanger you leave me on. It's like his, his <laughs> son is now like a, a crazy big robot and the, his body's in the hospital, you know, and Teletran 1's getting wrecked up again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but during this commercial break, I'm going to call my local doctor to see if this plot makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to call Trapper John MD. <laughs> or maybe Quincy. Maybe Quincy can help me. <laughs> you are about to enter the most fascinating sphere of police work, the world of forensic medicine. <laughs> oh, I, I, just, I just need a palate cleanser, so I think I'm going to call 1-900-490-FREAK. You mean one nine hundred four nine zero freak? Find out what's happening. What's jamming? Call now one nine hundred four nine zero freak. What's happening? What's jamming? Party till you drop. Dialing here the action. What's hot? What's not? Call now one nine hundred four nine zero freak. Two dollars a call. <laughs> Join the party the fast and easy way. <laughs> and and while I listen to Freddie Freaker to find out what's happening, what's jamming, I'm gonna play with my rocks and bugs and things. They're on the move and ready for action. Rocks and bugs and things from ideal. I'm going to play with my Capsellas. Capsella, it's motorized. Mmm, <laughs> you, could, you could use those in water. But no, come on, we can't, we can't fool around with this too long. We got to get back to the plot of this episode. So Spike is in the body of Autobot X, yep. busting everything up. And then we see Sideswipe and Sunstreaker sort of peek in from an adjacent room. And they're like, oh, he's losing control. <laughs> There's like a really nice little line of dialogue here where I mm-hmm. think it's Sideswipe who's like, right. he's, he's very like softly speaking to Spike. He's not like, let's take him down because we're like the cool hip kids. They're just like, hey, Spike, come on. You know, and they, they both grab his arms. Yep. And Spike recognizes them, but he like throws them against the wall. They literally get thrown across the base into a wall. Prime again declares that Spike must be stopped but warns everyone to use low power so as not to damage Spike's mind now residing in this mishmash of parts. He takes a shot at him, and Spike falls to the ground, and his dad rushes up to see if he's okay. Spike, are you... Dad, what's... what's happening to me? Forgive us, son, but we did the only thing we could do to save you. You'll only be in that robot body till the doctors at the hospital fix up your real one. Yeah, guess you did what you could, but it's hard to 
something... Like something's telling me to do bad things. So I got some thoughts about this. This is why I think I actually like this episode a lot more than I originally did. And especially when you contextualize it with the assumption that this was rewritten to speak to a younger audience, mm. or maybe it was like outlined for one audience than written for another audience. But if you think about like five-year-olds, like what grade are you in when you're, when you're five, right? Like you're like kindergarten, kindergarten, somewhere kindergarten, first grade, that neighborhood. And like storytelling for that age group, a lot of times is about like management of emotions. And we got this story now where our human character who we're supposed to be following along with is suddenly given all this great power. And suddenly it's really, it's like, it's hard to think like something's telling me to do bad things. Like when you're experiencing big feelings, when you're that age, it's like, it's like a tidal wave. It's like, you are that feeling, right? It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's gigantic and it's unmanageable because you don't have the skills yet to manage those feelings. So I feel like this story, it feels like it was well-constructed to speak to that mindset of a young kid. However, mm -hmm. we were 11 and 12. And so I can see why this would make me kind of like, I'm not quite as into this one, you know? Um, so as a kid, I remember, you know, I watched it, I enjoyed it as, as much as I could, you know, as much as I did in any Transformers episode, but it was never one of my favorites. But now watching it as an adult, I'm like, well, actually, you put this in front of little kids, it probably makes a lot of sense to them, because that's like kind of what it's like going through learning how to talk about your feelings. Mm. Well, Spike eventually sort of gets control of himself, calms down. As Prime explains that he and some other Autobots need to return to the rocket base, so Spike should just relax and hang out here and take it easy. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we see Laserbeak recording this and then withdrawing out of the base without being seen and returning to Decepticon under the sea. So Megatron is informed that Spike is now in an Autobot body, and the state of his mind is questionable, he says. <laughs> Time to take advantage, because he's Megatron. Yep, and when he says time to take advantage, he's not just going to leave it there, right? I mean, he's going to like soliloquize because he likes to hear himself talk, and he has to make sure that he <laughs> soliloquizes in the direction of another Decepticon <laughs> who's going to argue with him so that he could talk a little bit more after that, right? It's a secretly known fact that Megatron was the leader of the debate team in, <laughs> in Cybertron school. He won all sorts of trophies and awards. <laughs> Uh, Megatron was on a road trip with the forensics team and that was a magical summer that he'll never forget so Megatron thinks aloud that he might be able to use Spike to destroy the other Autobots but of course someone's here to rain on his parade as always and of course it's Starscream he says he's heard it before and the Autobots have yet to be destroyed and Megatron threatens to turn Autobot Spike's power on him as he shoves him away, and then Megatron muses. <laughs> what supreme irony, turning their friend into their foe. And I think this is the second mention that Megatron has about appreciating irony. It feels like something he comments on repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try to keep track of how many times he actually brings up irony in the series. It feels like a lot. It does. But it's probably less than it feels like. So we'll see. This is the second time as far as I've been noting. I want to say the first one was in episode one where he says, how ironic how by ironic leading us to this planet, the Autobots have sealed their own doom. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, he gets excited when, you know, he gets to like flip the script on the Autobots. 
he likes literature and, and literary themes. So maybe he minored, he majored in debate, he minored in literary theory. Early Cybertronian lit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Iacon tales. <laughs> Are you listening, IDW? <laughs> We're available. Back at the Ark, Wheeljack has stolen cable and has wired a TV signal into Teletran 1 so Spike can chill out and watch TV instead of smashing things. Coincidentally, what's Spike watching? Frankenstein. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. You ever feel like the universe is trying to tell you something? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Spike. And, and like he says, like, oh, thanks for patching Teletran 1 into that TV station. And he's just like, he, and the design of Autobot Spike is actually kind of cool. Like he's, he has like that slack jaw. He's got like a bit of an overbite. And he, he looks like, like because of that big brow, he looks really thuggish. And the way he's sitting there hunched over watching the screen with his mouth kind of slack. He looks kind of monstrous and thuggish as he's watching this. But then, of course, we hear the melodious voice of Colin Clive saying, It's alive! Alive! Right? Well, we're shown Frankenstein play out on the monitor with Michael Bell as Igor, Frank Welker as Dr. Frankenstein, and Peter Cullen as the monster. Mm-hmm. This creation of yours, made from mismatching parts and an evil brain, is a monster who will destroy us all! Nonsense! He will be grateful for the giant, powerful body I've given him. You see, Doctor, you've created a monster! A monster! I would imagine this was probably a little fun diversion for them to inhabit these roles for the 15 seconds or so that they're given, if that. I just like Frank Welker's Dr. Frankenstein, instead of being like the manic <laughs> voice of Colin Clive, is like, nonsense, he'll, he'll appreciate <laughs> the big strong body I gave him. <laughs> 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 and then, yeah, like the, the Igor by Michael Bell is like sort of like a snorting version of uh, Major Blood. <laughs> yeah but then yeah like the frankenstein's monster like sits up after electricity hits him and he just starts re- wrecking the place right which is like sort of like <laughs> we're getting the cliff's notes version of frankenstein because i don't know if you've seen the movie that the spike is supposedly watching but he, he doesn't just start wrecking up the place <laughs> so we have igor exclaim that the doctor has created a monster and this triggers spike and he too rages out and resumes smashing things thinking that he is also a monster okay we had a pause here because this is, again, where I identify with these kinds of stories. So you remember, and I don't know if I've ever told the story on a podcast before. Y- yeah. So you remember that a lot of these cartoons, especially He-Man and G.I. Joe, had little PSAs at the end of the episodes, right? Mm-hmm. In the case of He-Man, the morals at the end were sort of like an encapsulation of what the general idea of the story was about. It was like extracting the moral message out of the story, whereas G.I. Joe was more about like wear reflective clothing at night. Here's how you swim. Don't, you know, touch electric wires, <laughs> which had almost nothing to do with happening in the episode. Right. And then we could get to a whole nother area. We talk about like, you know, the, the moral messages at the end of the mask cartoon. <laughs> Don't take a toaster into the tub. <laughs> 
<laughs> but in, in the He-Man one, there was this episode, there were at least a, a handful of episodes which were about like, don't judge people by their appearance. And in the end of the episode, Tila does the moral and she says like, sometimes bad things can be made to look good. And sometimes people who are very beautiful act very ugly. And sometimes people who are very ugly are the most beautiful people to know. Today we met Garth, who to some people looked like a monster. But Garth wasn't a monster. He was a good person with a noble soul. And in the end, his beauty showed through. Real beauty comes from inside, which is why ugly people can sometimes be the most beautiful people to know, and why people who look beautiful sometimes act very ugly. Being beautiful on the outside is all right, but being beautiful on the inside, that's the best. Now, I'm just a little kid at this point, because this is like, what, 83, something like that? Mm -hmm. And all I heard was, beautiful people are mean, ugly people are nice, right? And so I run to my mom, I'm like, hey, mom, am I am I good looking? And what's mom going to say, right? She's like, well, of course, you're beautiful. And I just burst into tears. <laughs> but Tila said I'm bad. <laughs> so I watched this and I see Spike do it. I'm like, actually, yeah, I was kind of the same way about TV, Spike. <laughs> I identified too much with characters. I bought into the story too much and it made me feel big feelings. So if I had a big robot body, who knows? That could potentially happen. But yeah, he's like, so now Spike says, I'm a monster because I saw a monster on TV. And it acted like how I'm feeling, like conflicted, hard to think, big weird body. And he starts smashing the place up. Yeah, so now Wheeljack and Sparkplug hear the commotion and rush in. They try to end the rampage and are joined by Ratchet and Bumblebee. However, Spike won't be stopped and he uses some boot jets to flee and escape the base. Mm. So on top of everything else, Autobot X can fly. And as he flies, he like knocks Bumblebee down or like Bumblebee has to jump out of the way as he flies by. I want to make a note of these moments because like I watch it now as an adult and I'm like, oh, you're hinting at something to come. Right. But more on that in a second. So Spike flies into the sky. As we see Spike fly into the sky, a familiar purple camera is capturing the scene. Mm. And he transforms into three robots, oh. and they, he, fly, flies, away. Surveying the damage at the base, Wheeljack, Ratchet, Sparkplug, and Bumblebee try to predict what Spike will do in his distressed mental state, which prompts good friend Bumblebee to head after him. Ratchet yells after him, saying, Hey, I haven't repaired your radio transmitter yet. Right. So, like, why would he say that unless that's going to come into play, right? Here we get to Chekhov's gun kind of thing, where it's like... Bumblebee is going off to find Spike. His radio doesn't work. Spike almost knocked him down a minute ago. Surely, Bumblebee is going to use his friendship to win Spike back. He's going to help him manage all these big, scary feelings through kindness and understanding and the only kind of friendship that a good-natured Autobot like Bumblebee can provide, right? Let's watch for it and see if that happens. <laughs> and and Bumblebee's going to be an extra peril because his radio doesn't work. He can't call for help. So it's really just going to be him and Spike. That's where my mind goes. Like, okay, so you're leading us to a final confrontation between Spike and Bumblebee. And Bumblebee's really going to be overmatched by Spike. And so he's really going to have to appeal to him emotionally to get him to calm down. Fingers are crossed that that's how this wraps up. <laughs> well, we cut to elsewhere where we see reflectors spying on the emo kid robot. <laughs> And he radios Megatron, saying he'll keep watch until Megatron arrives. Mm -hmm. We see Spike just sort of sitting sitting on a cliff, 
just trying to find his purpose in the world in his new body, asking himself if he should protect the world like Prime does, or if he should embrace the monster he's become. He just decides to go on another rampage, uprooting a tree, and doing more smashing. Yeah, that part is upsetting. Like, he kills a tree. And this goes back to my, like, sort of 10,000-foot view statement at the top of this one, where it's like, the humans always make the Autobots better, right? And I, again, I don't, I don't think the writers were necessarily thinking it through like this, but I bet it was, like, in the back of their minds, right? Like, there's got to be some reason that, like, the Autobots would be friends with humans. There's got to be some advantage to being human in the story. Well, the advantage is that humans are intrinsically more gentle and kind and less conflicted than these Transformers are. Well, what happens then if you put a human's mind inside of a Transformer, right? They're going to be conflicted, mm-hmm. and they're going to be less, a little bit less good. And which gets to the final line of the episode, too, which I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, like, just on pins and needles to get to. But, but yeah, he's, he starts smashing up things, and he's, like, having this little, like, soliloquy to himself. Like, with this powerful body, I can conquer mankind. <laughs> Very bold. Mm-hmm. But out of the blue, Bumblebee arrives to check on his friend, and he tries to calm him down. And he tells him his rage is just a side effect of the mind control transfer. You're just becoming a teenager, Spike. It's just your hormones. (laughs) This isn't who you are. (laughs) So Spike thinks he's being tricked and sends Bumblebee flying, who frantically grabs onto a cliff to stop his fall. Mm. Then who joins the party but the Decepticons? Reflector joins them in the air and receives praise from Megatron. You did well, Reflector. Okay, kids, time out. We interrupt this emo smash fest to point out a sad bit of trivia. Namely, the reason I include this innocuous exchange in the sound samples. This, dear listeners, is the last time we ever get a line from Reflector. Oh no! He'll still show up in some crowd shots here and there, but not often. And he'll never get another speaking line. Soon we'll be introducing new 1985 toys every 30 seconds, so there's simply no room for toys that didn't even make it to 1984's retail lineup. So we shall remember you, Reflector. We We shall shall remember. remember. Now back to our emo smashing already in progress. So, wait a minute. The Decepticons get here, so we're really not going to get the scene where Bumblebee appeals to Spike emotionally and Spike is smashing at him, a la Winter Soldier and Captain America. (laughs) Oh, See... Why was it so important that Bumblebee's radio doesn't work? Well, we'll find out soon enough, I think. Will we? Because I feel like this is getting left on the floor. Okay, so so the, Spike sees the Decepticons approach, get a nice profile shot with his enormous chin. He's like, all right, time to test out my powerful robot body. And what does he do? So Spike sees the Decepticons approaching, and he's going to take a shot at them. He's going to use this power on the Decepticons. Takes a shot at Starscream, who leads Thundercracker and Skywarp into a retaliatory attack on Spike. And the trio hit Autobot Spike, and he falls to the ground, unleashing our second commercial break. Also, like, something, if you're watching the art, something they do a lot in this episode is Spike, Autobot Spike's face flying up into the camera in this three-quarter mm-hmm. upshot. That happens repeatedly in this one, and that's how they end this, this particular act. Like he yeah. falls down, his face goes whoop right up into the camera shot, looking up his nose, kind of a shot. But I'm gonna chill out and have some Cheerios. Mm. Try to be calm. While while you play with your Cheerios, I'll be over here with my Chris Star Warriors and all of their bizarre names. <laughs> They've captured us. 
speaker with a crystal prism that makes everything look like this. Goodness and might, evil and might, the winner is up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but somebody somebody got into my Crystar toy box and they put in a whole bunch of Battle Beasts. Oh, no. They can grow into an army. I always did like how on the Battle Beast commercial they plainly say, collect all 84. <laughs> like, they're not trying to hide how many there are to collect. Right. And I would imagine parents hearing, hearing this commercial just said, oh, my God, <laughs> you're not getting all 84. You might get four or five, but you're not getting all 84. So and, and the, the tagline battle for the fun of it always kind of confused me as a child. Cause it was like, OK, are they really battling then or is this like pro wrestling? Are they like just doing it like as entertainment for the other battle beasts? Fire beats wood. Those animated commercials are so pretty. But you know what? We got to find out if Spike died because I do like this. I do like this, that Spike has this big, powerful body, but you just took on three Decepticon warriors. And while maybe Ironhide has less of a problem dealing with them, they're still like all three of them took you on, Spike. You're just a kid. And of course, you're going to take him down really fast, right? So Spike gets up and he's even like doing like a, you want to hassle some more, do you? And you hear him like he's groaning, (laughs) like he's like he's ready to fall down. But Megatron says, wait. Whoa. He tells Spike there's no need for further conflict and even comments that he thinks Spike's appearance has improved since they last met. But Spike says he's become a monster like Megatron. And he, he even says, like, I've become a monster like you. And he covers his face, like points at Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> Megatron claims he's no monster. He was head of the debate team in high school. <laughs> did you also pick up on the cool little lip curl they did when he says monster? Like he's he's frowning as he says the line, but then he says monster. I am no monster. And the lip curls as he says that. It's really well done. It's, it's a subtle little mm-hmm. thing, but it's good. Okay, he didn't say the thing about the debate team, but he does say he's merely a sentient machine who's found their place in the universe. And he offers Spike the second-in-command position if he agrees to join up and get revenge on the ones who did this to him. And I wish we had gotten a shot of Starscream, like, his mouth agape, (laughs) his, like... What? <laughs> what would have been great is if Starscream did the exact same thing that Ratchet did in the beginning right. of the episode. He turns to like Soundwave, <laughs> <Yes>. Thundercracker <laughs> Scarver's like, oh, it holds his hands you, up. You hearing this? Oh, <laughs> uh, but like, unfortunately, we don't get that. Yeah, Megatron, like, slow your roll. Just offer him revenge on the people who did this to him. Like, you're <laughs> giving him second in command? Really? So Spike's having trouble thinking. So Megatron says to let him do the thinking. Yep. And Spike decides to go along with it. Uh, Bumblebee has managed to spy on this scene, and without a radio, heads out to warn the other Autobots. So now he can't just radio them to get over here. He has to drive to where they are okay. and then drive them back. Okay, but that doesn't like really raise the stakes for me in any way, right? I mean, it should, but story-wise, it doesn't, because essentially... Spike and the Decepticons just sort of chill out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there, there's there's no rush. Yeah, it that whole business of the radio. I feel like that was meant to do something else. And I, like I said, I I was fully as I watched it again. I'm like, oh, it's pointing to a Winter Soldier kind of showdown between Spike and Bumblebee. And Bumblebee's just going to have to take a beating from Spike. And that's going to make it hurt all the more when Spike finally comes to his senses that he hurt his friend, you know, and Bumblebee mm. couldn't call for backup. And it was, and how brave are you, Bumblebee, all the time? Out of necessity, because you had to go help your friend and you couldn't wait around to get your radio fixed, right? 
But man, that whole piece got just thrown out just so that like Spike can hang out with the bad kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, I, I get that too. I'm picking up on that vibe where it's like, oh, it's so hard to think. Well, let me do the thinking for you. You know, making decisions is tough, but hey, I'm the cool kid and I got cigarettes and we can go spray paint <laughs> the back of this building. You know, I got cigarettes. We can spray paint. I was on the debate team. <laughs> I minored in literary theory. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I like how he's slowly turning into John Travolta. (laughs) Barbarino Tron. Hey, Carla, up your nose with rubber hose. So, yeah, so... It totally brings to mind Megatron turning the Dinobots against Prime back in uh, War of the Dinobots. And, of course, that was also written by Donald F. Glutt. So very similar plots going on here. Mm, Going back to the same well, Mr. Glutt. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the rocket base, the Autobots are witnessing a new rocket launch. So apparently they got all the mess cleaned up and (laughs) got more rockets from somewhere all of a sudden. (laughs) Well, the Autobots helped them. So they're witnessing this rocket launch. And Prime says it's impressive. For primitive rocket technology. Right. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Way to throw shade, Prime. (laughs) That line makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, I'm not into Optimus, like, sneering at anybody, you know, ever. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I I mean, well, Megatron. He can make fun of Megatron. He can make fun of Decepticons because they're evil. But, like, making fun of humans? Come on. You're better than that, Optimus. And that goes back to my theory that, ah, Spike's in the hospital, right? Chip is, you know, probably at some other munitions plant making other death weapons for humanity (laughs) to fight against evil Decepticons. But, so, like, there's something about having humans around that makes them all a little bit better people. (laughs) Spike's been gone for, like, a week now. And Optimus is like, oh, God, these humans. (laughs) I rest my case. (laughs) (laughs) So Bumblebee speeds in because he's had to make his way from wherever Spike was hanging out with the Decepticons. Mm -hmm. And he warns everybody that Spike is falling for Megatron's lies. And Prime feared that this would happen. So everybody speeds away to meet Spike and save him from Megatron's propaganda. Why did Prime think this was going to happen? And if so, why didn't he have more people watching over Spike? <laughs> I, I don't want to pick because they all had to go watch a rocket launch, which was super important. <laughs> well, he did say that he was going to help him clean up and fix things. I mean, and that was the impression I got was that the Autobots actually used their Autobot technology to help them build the rockets more quickly or something. Mm. But I, I don't, I, I don't want to well actually this episode to death because I do like it a lot. But it's just there's just some odd little bits of dialogue. I guess instead of like weird portmanteaus, there's weird like things getting left unused, like Bumblebee's radio. And then weird lines like, if only we could take his mind out of his body. Hmm. If only there were a way of separating Spike's mind from his body while we work. And Optimus going like, I feared something like this would happen. Well, why didn't you do a better job preventing it? I turned the TV on. What do you want me to do? (laughs) Anyway, so they they go to where Spike is. and Mm -hmm. And they find Spike alone. Prime tries to talk some sense into him, mm-hmm. but Spike's still in an emo rage and blasts Prime a few times. Now, Prime is unwilling to fight back. Okay, that's right. And he continues his attempt at talking sense. Mm-hmm. But then Spike reveals he has backup. Well, because Optimus says, Optimus says to him, you are not acting under your own will 
and a conscience or something like that. He's like, this isn't you. You're not, this isn't you doing this. And then Spike says, yeah, right. It's not just me. He's like, I've got <laughs> backup. And we see behind his back. He's been concealing Megatron in gun mode. It's a nice shot. It's a really nice shot looking over his shoulder as he's looking at the Autobots down below. Because we, we should also point out Spike's up on a cliff. So he's like mm-hmm. got the high ground. And the Autobots yeah. are all in the desert below him, hiding behind rocks as he's standing there. But then we look over. We're looking over his left shoulder as he looks down at Optimus. And we see his hand behind his back. And there's Megatron in gun mode in his hand. So he whips it out and he fires on Prime, who goes flying. He does. <laughs> like Prime just like flies out of frame, and then we like cut to all the Autobots standing downfield, looking with their mouths mm-hmm. open, and Optimus slides on his back toward them in this really mm-hmm. cool forced perspective shot where his like feet are really big and his head's really small, kind of thing. So Braun says, "Let's take him," but then Prowl spots the other Decepticons flying in. And so the rest of the team busy themselves with them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Spike is still firing on Prime, who has taken cover behind giant rocks and little hills. You know, the same kind of terrain we always see in this show. <laughs> Funny how there's always hills and boulders that can hide a 20-foot robot. Mm. So Megatron's cheering on Spike as he continues shooting at Prime. But Prime keeps trying to reason with him and does not fight back. He tells Bumblebee that if he destroys his metal body, he also destroys his mind, and Prime is not going to let that happen. Okay, we're back to good Prime. Now, this is the part where Bumblebee's going to climb the hill and get shot by Megatron in order to try to talk Spike out of it, right? (laughs) Well, in the meantime, Wheeljack has driven Sparkplug up the hill, and he gets out and runs towards his robo-son trying to reason with him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wheeljack said, Sparkplug, get in. I'm going to go take you to put you in the line of fire while (laughs) your son is shooting Megatron at people. It's a secret that Wheeljack secretly hates these two guys, and he's trying to get them both killed. (laughs) this, this, This is where things are really kind of unraveling for me. I get what what's about to happen, but it's like, why did Wheeljack bring Sparkplug there? Because like when Spike was first transferred into Autobot X, Sparkplug runs forward, he's like Spike, my son, and like they pull him back. They're like, don't don't <laughs> run at him because we don't know what's gonna happen, right? But now it's just like, well, he's got a gun, he's shooting Optimus. <laughs> I guess get in there and see what you could do. Wheeljack's just ticked that Sparkplug has shown him up and created this thing that he couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so Sparkplug runs up. It's like, Spike, what are you doing? These are your friends. So Spike even fires at his dad, and Sparkplug goes flying, falling down the hill. Really cool forced perspective shot of him falling away from the camera. His feet are like all up in close to the frame and huge, and his head's really small, that kind of shot, as he like zooms past the camera, but he's still kind of falling in slow motion, you know? And then Spike looks down as it's happening. He realizes what he's done. Yeah, that sort of wakes him up. Yeah. Sucks him into action. I like this. I think I would have liked it better if it was Bumblebee. Because mm. he's like, Dad, Dad! You know, and I guess like you have to do the whole father-son story because it's Sparkplug's fault that he's in this predicament in the first place, right? Mm. Well, or is it? Is it Bumblebee's fault? Because Bumblebee drove a Spike onto the rocket base. So they're both culpable. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so it's the Spike, what does he do? Well, Spike runs to the side of the cliff where his dad's falling from, and he uses an extending claw hand to grab his dad before he hits the ground. Ah, yeah, he keeps he keeps discovering new powers all the time. And so, like, that weird little, like, trailbreaker gun hand that he had, like, can turn into a claw. And mm-hmm. he saves Sparkplug and raises him up so before he goes splat. <laughs> and then Megatron's like, 
you know, use my power against them. Come on, what are you waiting for? <laughs> and then Spike agrees to destroy them. Them. But to Spike, them is the Decepticons. So Spike starts firing at the Decepticons, which outrages Megatron. He transforms and orders a retreat, and they all fly away. I love this scene because like it's like Starscream and Skywarp are like wrestling with some Autobots, and then also like you see Megatron's beam hit Starscream in the chest and he flies off the screen and hits Skywarp <laughs> and he flies off the screen. Uh I wish it would have been a little bit more of an intense thing to watch him like tearing down all the Decepticons kind of thing. Cause like mm-hmm. that would have been like a little bit of fan service to me as the human fan. Like, Oh, that's a power fantasy I could, I could live with, <laughs> but it's fine. You need to get him out of there. And the, yeah, Megatron says like, we've been betrayed. Mm-hmm. He goes, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you've been betrayed sort of. And they, uh, and they fly away. Yeah. So Spike sort of got his faculties back and Sparkplug comes up to him and, they forgive each other, and they have an earnest moment, and we get the sad music. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a nice little bit there, because like, Sparkplug's like, well, you saved me, thank you. And Spike's like, well, I put you in danger in the first place. Can you forgive me? And Sparkplug says, well, there's nothing to forgive, which I read that as, like, we both wronged each other in this episode. So as long as we're okay again, then we're fine. And then Spike's like, why don't I have a mom? <laughs> They're just going to go through all their issues right here. (laughs) You said I could go to private school. I'm going to state school. (laughs) Son, I don't make that much money as an Autobot mechanic. (laughs) Optimus is like, what is money? You know what it is, Optimus. (laughs) (laughs) And all the Autobots are like, I don't don't know your Earth language. It's weird. (laughs) IDW, are you listening? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the episode's not over yet. (laughs) Okay. We cut to the hospital, where the doctor tells Sparkplug they've done what they can with his body, and the rest is up to them. Mm. (laughs) He's like, we've done all sorts of horrible things that we could never be sued for, because his mind wasn't here. You know, he can't prove anything. Hmm. If only there were a way of separating Spike's mind from his body while we work. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Fade to Autobot HQ, where we now see Spike's body hooked back up to the mind transfer device, and Autobot Spike looks down on his little human body and looks down at the table. I, I, this line grabbed me as a child when he's like, I guess this is the last time I'll see myself from the outside. And like, it, just hearing it phrased that way made me realize, oh, I'll never get to do that. That's something I will never... Spike got to do another thing I'll never get to do. <laughs> so, but then, yeah, he goes back. He, like So there's this little tiny bed, and then next to it is this gigantic Autobot operating table that Spike mm-hmm. like, like lays down on. He says, zap me back home. And they put the little colanders on their head and with all the wires and they're both wired to the machine and they throw the switch and begin the transfer because of course all it takes is electricity (laughs) yeah well that brought autobot x to life didn't it but of course we still need a smidge more drama (laughs) so the machine begins to overload oh no but within seconds it's done its job okay good (laughs) and spike wakes up in his human body again he hugs his dad and says he's back where he belongs. Oh, and then like I love this shot of Wheeljack sitting in a chair with his legs crossed. He's resting his chin on his hand, like ah, oh, gee, it's like what a day. And then Ratchet standing next to him, he's like, oh, I could probably repair that thing, but I probably shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I'm gonna throw it in the closet with the Dinobots. <laughs> 
It's like, no room. No room. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Got the immobilizer back here. (laughs) Oh, poor Dinobots. Skyfire gets his own room at the front of the the place. (laughs) We're stuck in a cave with all of your useless inventions, Wheeljack. Thank you. But now we're going to get to the moment that, like, I just, oh, I love this tender moment between Bumblebee and Spike. And this is, I don't know if Donald Lefkowitz meant it, meant it but, like, given, mm-hmm. like, the, like, the sort of analysis I've been doing about, like, the role of humans in this show, I love that the episode closes with Bumblebee saying this line. Bumblebee leans in to give Spike a high five, and he wonders if it would be possible to put a robot mind in a human. Yeah, because Bumblebee wants to be better. He's, he's already the best. But he just wants to be that much better. He wants to be like Spike and Chip, you know? And then, like, I wonder what it'd be like. Yeah, it'd be pretty great, Bumblebee. Uh, I don't know about that, because sadly, <laughs> we will kind of find the answer to that question in season three's Only Human, like about a year and a half from now, if we stay on task. Oh, wow. And, well, yeah, Rodimus doesn't like coffee. So, <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe it wouldn't be so great. You what if while he was human, he got addicted to something like coffee, and then he had to start drinking coffee as a robot again? I well, yeah, that that sounds like more what one of the modern shows would do <laughs> with something <laughs> like that, right? There would be like some human pleasure that he like enjoyed so much that he's like, oh, I, I just got to get it back. Rodimus, you can't even process coffee. I don't care. <laughs> to quote Tarantulas, it's the act I enjoy more than anything else. <laughs> but all right. So episode closes and the closing credits happen, which are a little, it has new animation in it, but the ending credits music is the same. Mm -hmm. And as the credits roll, how do you feel about this one? I can imagine this not being one of your favorites because there is very little Decepticon stuff happening in it. Yeah. I'm always happy to see Reflector. Mm -hmm. Always happy to hear Reflector. Mm -hmm. I'm sad that that's never going to happen again. I'll be keeping an eye out for spotting him in the background. Mm. Um, but just, just in general, not a big fan of this one. It seems like you said, I mean, it seems like it was rewritten for five-year-olds instead of 12-year-olds. So I guess the entertainment that I really like is for (laughs) (laughs) 12-year-olds. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) I'm slowly growing. (laughs) Every day, growing a little bit more. (laughs) I think that that is that's a legitimate criticism. The point at this one is that the series started out as being more for 10, 11 and 12 year olds. I mean, it's it's clear Mm -hmm. when you watch those first like eight or nine episodes of the series and to see it like pull back this far to become this young. It adds an element of silliness that if you were along for the ride so far, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel out of place. I feel like the silliness is going to keep coming. Yeah. You know, we've got some really silly episodes coming down the road and and I've you know, we've already talked about how like in later iterations of the cartoon franchise, RID from 2001, Beast Wars to some extent, and certainly the 2008 series, they found more of a balance between like the silly concepts and the the drama. But this one it felt like okay, this is a dramatic show that suddenly just got really silly. Right. Mm, like yeah. if, if Star Trek Next Generation, like all of a sudden had an episode like Spock's brain. Um, yeah. I rationalize it by saying like, well, this story feels like it's appropriate for 
like a five, like a, I would say like a six-year-old and a 10-year-old to watch it together and get different things out of it. Yeah. Another critique I guess I would have is that it seems like it takes too long for the worrisome plot device to happen. It's not until the third act that Autobot Spike is basically drafted to the Decepticons. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're really going to wait that long for the scary part of the episode? I'm trying to remember in War of the Dinobots, Grimlock turns as of the first act break, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah, it does. Because like the second act break is Optimus getting shot and falling in that crevice. And then the Dinobots standing over him after they shot him. So fewer characters in that one. But I think this is a good one to one comparison is like if you want to see like how much things change between season one and two, look at War of the Dinobots and Autobot Spike, which is essentially the same concept megatron convinces a big and powerful autobot to turn against optimus and when we see spike fighting optimus it's just like he's hiding behind a rock like oh i don't want to hurt him but like war of the dinobots says please this is senseless we're friends you know and different solutions to the problem in that grimlock doesn't have a dad to well he does have a dad <laughs> oh man now i want to go back and rewrite it like like Uh-oh. wheeljack runs up and he's like grimlock what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> he's like dad but yeah yeah it's definitely it feels slower it feels a lot slower and and like i said my biggest beef with this one has more to do with like the suggestion that something is going to happen to bumblebee You've hinted that there's heightened peril for Bumblebee, and then it was just like, what's the heightened peril? Oh, he almost fell off a cliff, and then he drove home. Okay. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just, uh, it's, I would say it, it gets a B from me. I like mm. it more than I thought, but it's not like a top 10 episode for me. Yeah. Could have used more Chip Chase, too. that's your answer every episode (laughs) well i mean i think it could have drawn out more of that sort of that idea of the humans make the autobots always a little bit better but i mean it's also i mean it's a nice father-son story too you know i mean it's a weird one it's like well i love my son a lot how much do you love him spark plug i'm gonna put his brain in something else (laughs) that's how much i love my boy okay (laughs) anyway so is that it we wrap this one up well, that's that's everything about this episode, but I wanted to make a special note. From season two onward, episode order gets a little odd because there was basically the order that they did the scripts, and then there's also the order they went to air. Sometimes those orders are very different. So what we're going to be doing is we're basically covering things in what I like to call story order, which sadly is not the aired order or the script order. Sometimes there are scripts that clearly happen before or after other episodes, Mm. but they weren't written in that order. Mm. I basically had to go over the script order and make adjustments where they were necessary to basically follow the story in the order it should happen. Mm. So because of that, it's going to be diverging from the order that they're in on 2B TV. Mm-hmm. So we'll always be sure to tell you at the end of each episode what the next episode we're doing is, because sometimes it may come as a surprise. But next episode, we're going to be doing Changing Gears. Mm. It's about gears, I take it? Yeah. He's finally going to get a chance to shine. Oh, he's going to save everybody. Um, <laughs> it's going to be one of those stories. Where Gears is going to find out his primary function, his, his central motivation in life, and he's going to overcome some kind of emotional difficulty to live his truest, his most honest truth, right? Or 
Or, judging by the title, Changing Gears, maybe he's just so angry with Bumblebee being late all the time, he's just going to join the Decepticons and see if they have any better protocol over there. (laughs) Say what you want about the Decepticons, but they show up on time. (laughs) You're late again. Oh, man. Changing Gears is next. All right. Well, we'll look forward to talking about it and hearing your feedback. Until next time. I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I have been Hoover, even though it's so hard to think. Okay, bye. Bye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. If only there were a way of separating Spike's mind from his body while we work.